our Articles of Faith as a church. So we are on Article of Faith number 8. Next Sunday we will, we will do Article of Faith number 9 and 10 together. Uh, that is, uh, those two are our church ordinances, so uh, it will be baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so make sure you join us next Sunday. Uh, actually, Pastor Ben will be leading us, uh, and uh, he'll be preaching. That day we'll be here, but he'll be preaching. And, uh, and so he'll be leading us through Article of Faith number 9 and number 10. Uh, and so I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm not sure why. But he was really excited about wanting to do those two. And I said, well, just preach them then. If you're that excited about them, it's not that I'm not. Uh, he was really excited wanting to preach number 9 and 10, our church ordinances. And I said, well, you can preach those too. It'll be okay. I'll let you. Uh, and so uh, we'll be here. But uh, Pastor Van will be preaching. I look forward to that. He always does a great job. And so make sure you're here for that. And then we will follow up, finish up the following Sunday. On the last two, there are 12 total. We'll do 9 and 10 next Sunday. The Sunday after that, we will do 11 and 12. Uh, and then we'll move forward after that. We'll share with you what God has for us in the year 2019. Article of Faith number 8. Let's read it together. Article of Faith number 8 says, We believe that good works are the fruits of faith and follow justification and are signs of our gracious state. If you've been with us as we walk through the Articles of Faith together, you know that we have been in a progression. So it started with a trinity, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then it moved into uh, uh, salvation and how we're saved and how did God redeem us, how are we saved ourselves. Uh, and now we move into what, what then, what, what happens after salvation and how do we live out that salvation. And so we get to that in Article of Faith number 8. It's been a wonderful progression in how the founding charter members of this church wrote the Articles of Faith. These Articles of Faith came straight from the charter members of this church. They were written November 7, 1835, as this church began on that date. These Articles of Faith, Articles of Faith were written. Matter of fact, the original document is right over here. You can look at that at the end of the service, and I would encourage you to do that. It's just very cool. We believe that good works are the fruits of faith, and don't miss this, follow justification. Follow justification. So why does it happen first? Justification, and then good works, okay? Fruits of faith, and follow justification, and our signs of our gracious state. Let's read our passage of Scripture together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. If you are able to, please stand with me as we read God's Word together. God's holy living Word. This is not for someone else. This is for you. This is for me. May we see what God has to say for us. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is beginning His ministry. Uh, he gathers the crowds, and they have come to uh, listen to Him speak on the mountain. And he is talking about how believers are salt and light, that you're the light of the world, meaning there's a lot of darkness out there. And the only light that is out there is you. The only way people can see the right path to choose is you, and it's me. And then he says in verse 16, Matthew 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that our good works point people to you. Lord, you have created us for good works. Your word tells us that. So, Lord, I pray that this little light of mine, Lord, I will let it shine. God, that light will bring hope to darkness. And, Father, it will point people to the Heavenly Father. I pray that we'll do that. Lord, let this church be a city on the hill. Not just right here in East Boga, but as we disperse and go to our workplaces and our homes and our neighborhoods, may our light shine before others so that people can give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. First, I want to share with you a couple things from this passage of Scripture that I've learned, and then I want to share with you three observations that are in your worship guide. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, we learn that the goal of our lives is to give glory to your Father in heaven. I think that's very clear in this passage. The goal of our lives is to give glory to your Father in heaven. That's your goal every day when you wake up, hopefully, is to glory God, glorify Him, honor Him, bring Him glory. I pray that that is your goal of everyday life, is to behave in such a way that God gives glory and not you. You ought to wake up every morning and behave in such a way that God receives glory from your life and that from your actions, from your attitudes, from your words, your discussions, your jokes, your comments, your um, uh, your thoughts and your heart, that God ought to receive glory from all of that. When you lay your head down at night, I pray that you can say, I have given God glory today by how I live. And we see that from that passage, the goal of your life as a Christian, the goal of my life is to give glory to your Father in heaven. This means that glorifying God is not an act of worship on Sunday. Rather, it's a way of life. I think for most Christians, glorifying God is a one day a week. And obviously, we're not doing it as good as we thought we were. Where is everyone else? Yeah, we have a second service, and I just, I'm just sure that they'll, they'll all be here. Most, many, traveling back from some small town in South Florida. Glorifying God is not just an act of worship on Sunday. It says, let your light shine so that others around you, no matter where you are, may see your good deeds, good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's not just an act of worship on Sunday. It's a way of life. It's who you are. You are defined. By giving glory to your Father in heaven. So how does God get glory from us? I've always wondered that. When David says, bless your name to God. I've always wondered how do we do that. And I think in the scripture it teaches us how God gets glory from us. And that is from the way we live. We must be engaged in good works. We must be engaged in good deeds. Many people would say that we are successful if we just... Don't do bad things. Normally, our measuring stick to determine if we're a good Christian or not is by how many bad things we've done or how many bad things we have not done, right? Isn't that how we measure how good of a Christian we are? I've always heard this about, you know, they're a good Christian. I think, what is that? I don't, I don't really understand. You, you know, they're a good one. You know, so-and-so, well, they're just a good Christian. How do we measure that? Do we measure that because they haven't done a lot of bad things in their life? Do you know God's not measuring us by that? 
We tend to measure our lives by bad things that we may have done or may have not done, but uh, John Piper puts it this way. It is not so much by avoiding gross sins that God's people display His glory, but rather in the pursuit of good deeds, acts of generosity, works of kindness, ways of love. You and I spend our lives trying not to do bad things when God wants us to go out and live good things. Go out with good deeds, good acts of kindness, uh, loving people, serving people. And yet we will measure ourselves by the bad things we have not done. How do we glory God? Not by the bad things we haven't done, but by the good deeds that we do every day. That's how we glory God. That's how we bring Him honor. That's how we bring Him glory every day. By our good deeds, our good works. Therefore, we should wake up each morning with a zealous attitude asking, how are the many ways I can bring God glory today through good deeds? When you wake up tomorrow, ask this question with a zealous attitude, God, how are the many ways I can bring you glory today? How are the many ways I can bring you glory today through my good deeds? Lord, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to accomplish today. Yes, I got a lot to do at work. Yes, I have a lot to do at home. Yes, I have a lot of things to do. But Lord, ultimately, how are the many ways I can bring you glory? I believe the scriptures teach that God has created us for his glory, the prophet Isaiah says. Jesus says we bring him glory through our good deeds in this passage. I believe it's safe to say that God created us for good deeds. God created you for good deeds. He created you. He formed you for good works, for good deeds. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. That's what He's created you for. For good works, good deeds. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God's already planned them out. He's already prepared ahead of time for you and for me to be involved and engaged in good works. Now the question, is it possible to do good deeds and not bring God glory? Sure it is. Absolutely. Matter of fact, people do it all the time. There are tons of do-gooders that never bring God glory. And many of those are Christians. They do good things. They go and help people and help change the tire. But they don't bring God glory at all. <laughs> They may post a selfie on Facebook and tell everybody that they helped somebody change the tire. Who's getting glory from that? Not the Lord. The light that Jesus is referring to when he says, let your light shine before men is more than just good deeds. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. So it's not just your good deeds. It's all of you, your emotions, your attitudes, your loves, desires, your wants, your motivations, all of those things bring God glory. It's not just your good deeds. Just because you give a thirsty person a drink of water does not mean you have glory, glorify the Lord. It's more than just your good deeds. It's you. You are the light of the world. I want to share with you three observations from this passage and from our article, Faith Number 8. Number one, Faith in Christ, justification, automatically produces good works. It's automatic. Faith in Christ, which is justification, you are justified, automatically produces good works. You know, you know why? Because the scriptures say the old has passed away, and behold, you are a new creation. You have died to yourself and to sin, 
And God has raised you up holy and set apart. So faith in Christ, when you become a Christian, the day uh, you profess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart and, and uh, seek repentance of your sins on that day, you are automatically enlisted in God's plan for good works. You've died to yourself, your sin, your new life should look no, should look nothing like your old life. Post-justification should look nothing like pre-justification. The moment you're saved, everything after that ought to look totally different than your life before. And I think this is where a lot of people are, a lot of Christians are. Nothing is different. Nothing. You may go to church on Sunday, you get up earlier than the lost and dying world on Sunday, but that's it. Many of our churches are full of people in our pews that there has been no life transformation. Oh yeah, their Facebook status says religious, Baptist, or Christian. They'll quote some scripture, and then the very next post is a cruel rant about politics. Your new life should look nothing like your old life because faith in Christ automatically produces good biblical works. Does it? Does it in your life? Does it in my life? Are you producing good works? Are you producing good fruit? Is your life the things that you do every day? Are you giving God glory? Is God receiving honor by how you live every day? Are you just coasting through life, just, you know, I'm saved, I'm just going to go to heaven, it really don't matter. You remember Ephesians 2.10, don't you? For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Faith in Christ, justification, automatically produces good works. Number two, our good works prove to the world the level of our dependency and gratitude towards God. I think this is true. Our good works prove to the world the level of our dependency and gratitude towards God. Listen, in order for you to fully bring glory to God through our good deeds, we must be people who are totally dependent upon God's strength. In order for you to bring God glory, it's, it's kind of a, for me, I think about bringing God glory, how do we do that? I'm a little overwhelmed by that. I'm thinking, God, how do I, how, how do I bring you glory? I, I'm, it's really not much to me. So how do I bring you glory? And I think that's part of how we do that. It, we're proving the level of our dependency and gratitude towards God. In order for us to bring glory to the Lord through good deeds, we must be totally dependent on God's strength, meaning we know that apart from Him, we're nothing. That apart from Him, we're nothing. That there is none good, no, not one. It means that without His strength, we're useless, powerless, and incapable of any good. That's how we bring Him glory. We rest and, and walk and trust in his strength to help us bring him glory. Because apart from him, we cannot do that. Apart from him, we're nothing. We're useless, powerless. Your level of faithfulness is a sign to those around you of how committed, thankful, and faithful you are to God the same you. Your level, I'm going to read it again. Your level of faithfulness, faithfulness to the Lord, faithfulness to his church, faithfulness to good deeds, good works before men, your level of faithfulness is a sign to those around you of how committed, 
thankful and faithful you are to the God that saved you. And I think we have a lot of churches that are full of people that are not faithful. They're not faithful. They're faithful to everything else, but not the church. They're faithful to everything else, but not the Lord. We live in a time now where we celebrate minimum faithfulness and are expected to overlook it. We celebrate minimal faithfulness. You know, we have minimized what we call a faithful church member. Now, if you come to church at least twice a month, you are considered a faithful church member. Isn't that crazy? I think that's crazy. Some of you are like, well, I'm pretty faithful then. Look at me. Coming at least twice a month. But we live in a time where we celebrate minimal faithfulness. And we're expected to overlook it. We're expected not to say anything about it. You're expecting me not to see you out and about and go, man, where have you been at church? Where have you been? Why's your family not in church? Did you know we meet every Sunday and Wednesday? You know that, right? It's on our website. <laughs> and we announce it. We're there. Where are you? Your lack of faithfulness is proven to the world. Prove it to the world. What kind of believer in Christian you are? I believe that. That's a little hard, isn't it? I think it's true, though. We're expected to keep a hush-hush about your lack of faithfulness to the church. If I come, and I see you out and about, and I go, hey, where have you been? I haven't seen you in church in a while. Oh, you just won't call me out like that. I'm in front of my family here? No, they know you're unfaithful to the church. That's I mean, they know that. I'm not, I'm not sharing any news. They know you're unfaithful. Where you been? Then you go and get on Facebook and you know what that preacher did? He told me I wasn't at church. That I was unfaithful. Well, I think the scriptures teach that. I'm just holding you accountable. Let's use that term. Hold you accountable. We celebrate minimal faithfulness. We celebrate minimal faithfulness, not just in the church, but in our relationship with the Lord. We're expected to keep a hush about your lack of faithfulness to the church and nursery ministries. When you don't show up for nursery and you have nursery and you don't show up, we're expected not to say anything to you. Why is that? You know what I think we're going to start doing? When you don't show up, we're going to call you. Like, hey, you're supposed to be here at nursery. Why is Miss Melody all, all the time having a cover for you? Why is my wife and other people always down there having a cover for you guys? You're never here. You know what happens then? We take those people off the schedule. We just take them off. And then you know what happens? Hey, why did y'all take them off? Why did you take them off the nursery schedule? What? You're never here. Every time it's your turn, you're not here. Well, I, I don't want I want to be on there. As if God looks at your name on the nursery schedule. Oh, look at them. Their name's on the list. They don't work that way, right? We're supposed to keep a hush on minimal faithfulness. We've allowed much of the world in our churches, and we have no problem with it. We have lack of faithfulness. We let our children and teenagers determine their own level of faithfulness to the church and things of God. Listen, your children will do what you allow them to do. 
And somehow we've allowed our children and our teenagers to determine their own level of faithfulness to the church. Many of our senior saints in here, you would say what? It was no question. We're going to church. And many of our senior saints and those that grew up in the church, you would, it baffles you that there are parents today that allow their child or teenager to determine whether or not they go to church. No, we're going to church. And you're coming with us. So get up out of the bed, right? We, our children would do what we allow them to do. If they go to other churches or don't need to come to church, it's because we let them. Not because they have a good excuse. It's because we let them. Your level. Our good works prove to the world the level of our dependency and gratitude towards God. And your level of faithfulness is a sign to those around you of how committed you are. May we increase the level of our faithfulness. And number three observation, I love this quote by Andrew Wilson. He said, faith without works is dead, not just sleeping. I like that. Faith without works is dead, not just sleeping. So you can't have true saving faith and not have good deeds. I don't think that's possible. Because the scriptures say that you are created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good deeds. You can't have true saving faith and not have good deeds because that's what God gives you. You can't have good deeds that bring God glory without faith. There's a lot of people that do good deeds, but they don't bring God glory, so they don't have faith. Most want to claim a sleepy faith, but at least it's faith, right? I think most believers, most Christians today, they go, well, at least they have a sleepy faith. No, you have a dead faith. It's dead. Well, I've got Jesus, but what good works are you producing every day? How are you honoring God every day? Are you honoring Him? Are you bringing God glory actively? Bringing God glory every day? Well, no. Well, then you have dead faith. Your faith is dead. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Faith without works is what? Dead. It's not just sleepy. It's not drowsy faith. It's dead faith. Good works are the fruits of your faith, which means you must have faith first, and then good works follow. As I've said before, anyone can do good works. But if your good works are simply for feel-goodism or for your own pleasure, for your own glory, they're not ultimately good works. Our good works come from the overflow of God's good works in our own lives. The scriptures say faith without works is dead. If you claim faith in Christ but do not produce and are not producing good works, then your faith is dead. It means you may not be saved. You may not actually have saving faith. You may have head knowledge faith in who Christ is. Good works do not save you at all. I don't think the scriptures teach that, and we don't teach that as a church. Lots of people do good things, but it doesn't mean they're saved. It follows justification. Listen to what Paul gave us, continuous examples of lives that do not bear good fruit and that will not inherit the kingdom of God, Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 and 10. Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. Listen, church. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people. Is that you? Is that you? Sexually immoral people? Are you involved in sexual immoral things? 
No sexually immoral people. No idolaters. No adulterers or males who have had sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And then you have Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds. I will point to all the other ones, sexual morality. I don't have that one, but what about hatreds? What about strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar? I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, 5, for we know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, this is an idolater, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. John the Baptist said, bear fruits in keeping with, a, with repentance. James says, faith without works is dead. Hebrew says, if we deliberately go on sinning, after we have received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. You know what that means? You're not saved. You're not saved. Does it mean that if you do any of those things, you're lost? No. But what it means is if you are continuously involved in those lifestyles, you may not be saved. Get saved. Trust Jesus. You can't live a life of lies every day and expect to have Christ. No, he changes you. You can't live a life with anger in your heart towards other people every day and expect to know Christ. No, God takes that from you. Doesn't mean you don't get angry every now and then. Of course, we don't want to overlook and forget about the many passages that speak of God's grace. Speak of the mercies that are new every morning, the mercies that are new, the freedom, the hope. But they do teach us that our actions put us at risk of final judgment. Look at some examples in Scripture. The greatest good deed someone can do is what? Give the good news. Do you believe that? I believe that to be true. I think the Bible teaches that. The greatest good deed you can do for someone is to give them the good news. There is not one person in Scripture that I know of that was killed, that was martyred, because they gave someone a drink of water. No. Look at examples in the scriptures. Anyone can give some water. Anyone can provide a meal. Anybody can help change the tire. Anybody can donate to the Red Cross. Religions all over the world do these things. But we're not measured by those good deeds, so stop flattering yourself. We are measured by the greatest good deed, and that's giving the good news. Look at Paul. Paul was in prison. He was beaten and stoned, Paul eventually beheaded, not just because of his faith, but because of his good deeds, and that was a result of his faith. Paul was guilty of good deeds. Was Paul beheaded because he helped people physically? No. Why was Paul beheaded and martyred for his faith? Because of the ultimate good deed he gave the good news. So may we not flatter ourselves that I'm a good Christian because I helped change someone's tire. No. Give them the good news. Give them the gospel. That's how we honor God. Should we change the tire? Absolutely. But that leads to sharing the gospel. What's the old saying? You 
Uh, I don't know exactly how it goes, but if you provide a physical need, it leads to a spiritual need, right? Give a drink of water, give them, give them the word. You open up the opportunity to share the gospel. Look at Peter. <clears throat> Peter was crucified upside down. Why? Not because he gave someone a drink of water. Not just because of his faith, but because of his good deeds. And that was the result of his faith. Peter was guilty of good deeds. Look at Andrew. Andrew brought the gospel to what is now the Soviet Union and then on to Asia Minor and modern day Turkey and Greece where then he was crucified. Why? Because it was a nice guy just because he had faith and sat in his house with his own faith and went to church every now and then? No. Because of the ultimate good deed and that is giving the good news. Andrew was guilty of good news. Andrew was guilty of good deeds. Andrew was guilty of bringing God glory. Look at Thomas. Thomas preached the gospel in Syria and India, later pierced by a spear from soldiers. Why? Because he was a good old boy Christian? No, because he gave the good news. He gave the gospel. Look at Philip. Philip had a powerful gospel ministry in North Africa, later arrested in cruelty, put to death. Why? Because he helped donate to the American Red Cross every now and then? No. Because he went and served at a soup kitchen every now and then? No, because of his faith led to the ultimate good deed, and that was giving the gospel. You look at Matthew, a tax collector, writer of the gospel of Matthew, took the gospel to Persia and then into Ethiopia later, later to be stabbed to death. Why? Because he was a good old Christian? No, because his faith led to the ultimate good deeds, and that is giving the good news. Look at Bartholomew, gospel ministry in India, Ethiopia, and southern um, uh, Arabia, only to be martyred for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because of just his faith? No. Because of the good deeds that he did. Because of the ultimate good deeds that he did. Look at James, gospel message to Syria, later to be stoned and clubbed to death. Why? Because of his faith? No. Because of his good deeds. Look at uh, Magus, replaced Judas, went to Syria with Andrew, then put to death by burning. Why? Because of his faith? No. It's because of what his faith produced, good works. That's why he was martyred. Not because of his faith, but because of the good works that followed his faith. Good deeds. Look at John, the only one thought to have died from old age, took the gospel. None of these men lost their lives because they simply gave someone a drink of water or helped the homeless on the side of the intercession. None of them. None of these men lost their life because of just their faith. No. They were guilty of good deeds. They were guilty that their faith and their commitment to their faith led them to good deeds. And their good deeds led them to the ultimate good deed. That's given the good news. That's why they were martyred. You know why they were guilty? Not because of their faith, but because of their good deeds. Do you think any of these men endured this because they just had faith and they sat at home all week, never spoke to Christ, never lived out Christ, never obeyed the scriptures, never produced good fruit? No. That's not why they were martyred. They were martyred just because they know Christ? No. Why were they martyred? Because of good deeds. Because of good deeds. Listen, are you guilty of good deeds? Are you guilty? 
of good deeds. I'm, just, I'm not just talking about giving a drink of water. I'm talking about the ultimate good deed. Are you guilty? If these men were in court, they would be found guilty. As a matter of fact, we see that because of the results of their life. They were martyred and persecuted for their faith, not just because of their faith, but because of what their faith resulted in. Good deeds. Which God created for them. What about you? Would you be found guilty of good deeds? Would you be found guilty like these men? I'm not saying if you go out and give the good news, you're going to be martyred for your faith. You might. I don't know that. But to God be the glory. Amen? These men did ultimate good deeds. And look, we're still talking about their ministries today. Because of what these men did and the good deeds that they did, we now have the gospel all the way over here. And that it has spread all across the world. Because of the good deeds of these faithful men. What about you? Andrew Wilson, part of the King's Church in London, said this. As Protestants are fond of saying, we're justified by faith alone. But the faith that justifies is never alone. Rather than being a frightening idea, this is actually one of the most comforting truths of all. As I trust God, works naturally follow. As I walk by the Spirit and abide in Christ, I bear much fruit. Producing lemons is no effort at all for a lemon tree. It's only orange trees that find it exhausting. You know why? Orange trees cannot produce lemons. It's unnatural. They find it exhausting. What is natural? Is those who have been justified by faith producing good works. Bottom line is that faith yields fruit. It has to. We stand with Paul and say that if you do X, Y, and Z, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The most extreme example, you claim to be Christian but continually murder folks, you can be sure that your salvation is at risk. I think we would all agree with that. But my question for us is are you guilty of good deeds? Maybe this passage has changed your views on what good deeds are. Are you letting your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds? It's not just your faith that counts. It's your good deeds that count. How will they know that you even have a light in the first place? It's by your good deeds. So go to work tomorrow or the next day. Go to school whenever you go by and let your light shine before me so that when they see your good deeds, it points them straight to Jesus. And the same gospel these men preach is the same gospel we preach. We preach Christ and Him crucified. And if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, repent of your sins, so save you. Praise God for that. That you too can be justified. You too can be justified by faith and then produce good works. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful. For our time, we're thankful for the scriptures. Lord, I pray that we will let our light shine before men. We'll let our light shine before others so that they may see our good deeds and they will bring you glory. Lord, help our hearts. There's probably many hearts in this room, including mine, who would not be found guilty of good deeds 
oh yeah, we're a good person. And according to most people around us, they would say, well, they're a good guy, or they're a good lady. They're just a nice person. And that may be true. But Lord, may we not be measured by what other people think of us. We may be a nice guy. But Lord, we may not be producing good works, good deeds that are leading people to you. Lord, help us do that. Help us to produce good works, trusting in your strength that ultimately lead people to glory you and to honor you. Hey, if you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor Mike, I'm I have faith, but I don't have the good deeds. Oh, yeah, I help people every now and then. You know, I try to help folks when they need it, but I don't give God glory every day. I don't honor Him every day. It's a it's a once a week Sunday morning worship deal for me. That's it. You know, you, you'd be like me and have to repent of that. Maybe come and pray at an altar and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to wake up every day and I want to know the ways that I can honor you. Lord, help me to see the good deeds that you have put before me. Help me to see the good works that you have put in my path. And help me walk in those. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you need Jesus today. We'd love to talk with you about that. So you too can experience justification by faith. So that you too can begin to live a life that brings honor to the Lord. Father, have your way. Lord, may we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?